just a couple of notes on this sermon. On the app is a PDF file of all of the scriptures that we're going to be covering today, and just a couple of notes on those. And I want to encourage you to maybe even devote this week to working through those scriptures in your own life and letting them sink deeply, because the message is fine, but what you do personally in your own life with the message is what is going to determine whether it actually has an impact in your life or not. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, I just uh, ask you in Jesus' name that you would fill me with your spirit. And in addition, Father, not only as I'm speaking, may I be filled with your spirit, but I pray right now for each person here and each person at home that they would individually come to you to seek your fullness so that they can hear what you want them to hear and do what you want them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, could life get any crazier? On January 9, in fact, it was interesting. As I was opening up 2020, I had this great plan, and I would have bet you any amount of money that 2020 is going to be an amazing year of me traveling all over the world and sharing God's word with people. And I'm really glad I didn't put any money on that bet. On January 9th, we heard of this strange virus from China. And oh my goodness, 55 people had become infected with this virus. And since that time, COVID-19 has come to dominate our lives, our economy, our relationships, our time. Everything has been dominated by this crazy pandemic that has spread all over the world. Not only that, but COVID has become so completely politicized that it has actually divided people. You know, we have people who think everything from, oh, it's a hoax, there's no real virus, to people who are saying, oh my gosh, why isn't everybody staying at home and, you know, buying respirators and, and uh, you know, just living completely isolated lives. So we have the whole gamut of people. And, and I don't even particularly, particularly care where you land on that spectrum. The tragedy is we've started to separate, even as Christians, based on how we view that. We have an election that seemed to cause more controversy than it solved. Our nation has become a powder keg triggered by the killing of a young black man that created riots and protests all over this country. And once again, people divided on that. What do you think? Is it Black Lives Matter or do all lives matter? And each one is a phrase that triggers the other side. And again, it doesn't really matter to me where you land on that issue. The tragedy is that we have divided on it. Now we have an election and our sitting president seems not to want to accept that, the results of that election. and, And there's so much chaos going on. And then when you thought things couldn't get any crazier, our capital the seat of power and authority in our nation becomes overrun. And four people are killed in that riot. And again, 
we divide on that. Well, what do you think? Well, I think somebody infiltrated. Well, I think this, and I think that. You know, and we have all of our opinions. And again, our opinions don't matter in terms of the big picture. What matters is that we're dividing over these things. The one thing I think we can agree on is that people are angry, scared, polarized, and wondering if it's ever going to get better. Last week, the focus was on the truth of the Jesus life that, that we carry in us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you carry in you the presence of Jesus. And Matt in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18 just reminded us that the part of this life that we understand is a given is that the circumstances of life are going to be incredibly difficult. There are going to be external forces trying to push you down. But because of the life of Jesus, you can actually overcome that. And you can experience peace and joy and, and a sense of security even in the middle of all of the stuff that's going on in your life. But this morning, there's many of us who are asking the question, well, why don't I feel that? Why am I afraid? If you're saying we have all this power, why am I, why am I still so confused and, and hopeless and even despairing? And this morning, my goal is very simple. I want to share what I've learned from God's word. This, this sermon is going to be very personal because it, it's a lot of my journey of getting to know Jesus and getting to experience him as my best friend. And I don't want you ever to think that that. I've arrived because I am still learning. Even this year has been an incredible year of learning and growth and evaluation for me. Jesus described the life he wanted to give us as an abundant life. John 10.10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You know, I love that word abundantly because it, it speaks of not just barely enough, but it speaks of an overflowing measure of life. So God isn't here to give you just enough life to get by this year. He's here to give you a life that of such quantity and quality that you have the ability to overcome anything that you encounter. In John chapter 7, here's what Jesus says about this life that comes from the Spirit. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to comment that Jesus was actually talking about the spirit who was going to be given after Jesus died and rose from the dead and went to the father. And that's the Holy Spirit that we have. So that the picture of this is a spring in your life that is coming out without any limits and the beautiful picture of this life is, is it's flowing out of you and anybody who happens to get in your way is going to be get splashed with the living water of the Spirit of God who is in you. But again, there's many of us who don't experience this life. I know even as a pastor for many years, I struggled with this life. 
I, I kept thinking that the Christian life was me trying to live for God. And I've discovered that when I try to live for God, I always come up short. But I've learned something about the Jesus life. And today I want to share with you three habits that can actually deepen your experience of the Jesus life. And I want to try to make this eminently practical of things that you could actually do tomorrow to deepen your experience of the life of Jesus in you. We're going to look at three simple things. Number one, the habit of building your life on the person of Jesus. And then we're going to look at building your life on the work of Jesus, the things that Jesus has done for you. And then we're going to look at the word of Jesus, the light that he gives us in his word to navigate these crazy times. So let, first, let's look at building your life on the person of Jesus. John begins his incredible gospel by telling us who Jesus is. He says, Jesus is the word who was in the beginning, who was with God, and he is God. And he, Jesus, is the creator of everything that exists. Everything that you see, the stars and the sun and the moon, the earth and all of the incredible animals, our lives, Jesus is the creator of everything. He is the source of life to every creature that draws breath. He gives light to everyone. Now, we can suppress that light if we want. But the point is, Jesus has made that light available to every person on this earth. He's given us the right to become God's children. And this eternal word became human. And he made his home among us, and we were able, or at least the people who lived at that time, were able to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus. So, bottom line, the Jesus life is not adopting a set of beliefs. It's not going through a set of rituals. It's not even becoming a part of a certain church. It's not adopting a certain lifestyle. The Jesus life is a relationship with a person. John 17, 3, Jesus said this when in praying to his father. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah whom you've sent. So in his prayer, Jesus actually defines life as knowing God. Now, when we think of knowing somebody, we think of shaking hands, saying, hi, how are you? My name's Steve. Oh, yeah, I know that person. But in the Bible, the concept of knowledge deals with an intimate relationship. It's not just a casual knowledge. It's a relationship of intimacy. And Paul in Philippians 3 talked about his passion in life. Verse 10, he said this, that I may know him. That's what the Jesus life was for Paul. It was knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, and that Paul would share in his sufferings and becoming like Jesus in his death. So it, it ultimately culminates in the fact that we die to ourselves and the life we're living is actually Jesus living in us. So in the Old Testament, the primary name for God was Yahweh. 
God himself gave us that name uh, when he was talking to Moses and challenging Moses to go set the people of Israel free. And Moses said, well, who should I say has sent me? What, what's your name, God? And God says, I am that I am. Thus you shall say, I am has sent you. And the words I am are the letters Yahweh. Jesus took the name of God to himself when he said in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. And that's why the Jews took up stones to kill him because they thought he was making himself equal with God and they were right. He was making himself equal with God. So I honestly believe that when we're talking about Yahweh in the Old Testament, every time we are talking about the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Because Jesus is that part of God, and I, I'm saying it wrongly, part of God. Jesus is that person of God who communicates God to us. So when Israel looks at the covenant-keeping God, they are looking at the word of God who became Jesus. So this is how God describes himself. In Exodus 34, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving sin and transgression, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what we learn about Yahweh is he is this God of unimaginable, unlimited love. And he is also a God of justice. Now, let's get serious about this. I want, to, I want you to hear how David described Yahweh. And by the way, if you're wondering, where do you get Yahweh? Every time you see the word Lord with all capital letters in the Old Testament, that's the word Yahweh. That's how we've described or interpreted that word. So Psalm 18, 1 and 2, David says, I love you, Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Do you think David's a little excited? He just keeps piling word on word on word. God, you're my rock, you're my shield, you're my fortress, you're my strength, you're my deliverer. And then in Psalm 23, he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. David is saying, that, God, I love you because you are the strength of my life. And now in Psalm 46, David specifically shares how this impacts us or his life in the worst times of life. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, through the, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Let me share with you how Gene Peterson translated this in the message. He said, God is a safe place to hide ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom. I love that. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom. Sounds so dramatic. Courageous in sea storm and earthquake, before the roar, rush and roar of the oceans, the tremors that shift mountains, 
Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of arm, angel armies protects us. So in Psalm 40, David describes who God is. In Psalm 46, he describes the difference that makes when everything falls apart. I hate to be the harbinger of bad news, but, you know, we have no guarantees that things are going to get better this year. I kind of smiled sadly at Facebook posts. About October, November, people started posting, oh, I'm so glad 2020 is almost over. Oh, it'll, it'll be so great when 2020 is done. Hey, guess what? We're in 2021 now. And we have, God has not said, oh, everything's going to be fine in 2021. I loved it when I saw people posting pictures of a sunrise and said, oh, this is a sign that things are going to get better in 2021. I want to encourage you, do not put your hope in the idea that circumstances are going to be better in 2021. Because God never promised that. Put your hope in the fact that no matter what happens in 2021, God is still your refuge and strength. He's your very present help in times of trouble. And God is going to give you everything you need in abundant quantity to get through, over, and beyond what happens this year. So how do we do this? You know, so we've talked a lot about this truth. Oh, yeah, that's great. So glad God is our refuge and strength. But how can I work to begin to translate that into my life so that I actually feel that God is my refuge and strength? I begin to experience the security that David did when everything was falling apart. I want to give you some specific ideas. And this is one of the reasons I printed up all the scriptures is I want to encourage you to Use these scriptures as a prompter. Start going through the Psalms, and whenever you see a Psalm starting off with, God is my, wow, take note of that. And begin to picture God as your refuge and strength, your shield, your fortress, your deliverer, your shepherd who will never leave you. Because as you begin to focus on that, not just once in a while, but on a daily basis, what you're going to experience is your vision of God gets larger and your vision of the craziness grows smaller. So what do I do? I have a little morning routine with God, uh, actually with Jesus. Jesus and, I, uh, Jesus and I have a little conversation. I have a, a quiet place. If you got into my life, you'd actually think I'm nuts because you say, oh, Steve's talking to his imaginary friend again. Because I always talk out loud. And I want to tell you, I believe that's an important principle in this place. Is not just to think these things in your head, but to speak them, affirm them verbally and out loud and with passion. Don't just say, God is my strength. Say, God is my strength. God is my refuge. Amen is right. Thank you. Because that's worthy of an amen. That's worthy of a yes, a hallelujah, so be it, praise the Lord. Because when we start affirming that, 
we're going to realize life hasn't gotten out of God's control. Do you realize that? God is not up in heaven and saying, oh, my goodness. And God doesn't say, oh, my me. You know, he just, he, he's not kind of trembling in heaven. I didn't know Trump was going to lose. What are we going to do about this? I didn't know that, that people were going to invade the Capitol. Oh, that really took me by surprise. Oh, what am I going to do? God is not in heaven. He is seated. He's not standing in heaven. He is seated on his throne. And he laughs at the craziness of nations. He laughs at all of the people trying to stand up against him. God is not intimidated by this world. He's not trying to figure out what to do right now. He knows the end from the beginning. And so here's what David says in Psalm 34, 3. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me. You know, we were going through this in the queue, and uh, one of the guys in the queue said, you know, I heard somebody say that magnify doesn't just make little things big, but it brings distant things close. I love that. It's like a telescope. When you look at the moon, it looks way closer through a telescope than it does just with your naked eye. So David is saying, bring the Lord near to your situation, to your experience, to your feelings. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now listen to the next verse. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. That's what Jesus wants to do today. He wants to answer your cry. He wants to deliver you from your fears. He wants to give you the security of knowing that the God you worship is in complete control. I found in life that you can either magnify your circumstances or you can magnify God. If you magnify your circumstances, if you set your focus to your circumstance, guess what's going to happen to your heart? It's going to go crazy. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be angry. You're going to be trying to bring your will to pass. But if you magnify the Lord, you're going to experience that deliverance from your fears. And by the way, this is not a one-time thing. I'm talking about a habit of life that we need to do on a day-by-day basis. One of the great things that happens is when you magnify the Lord, God restores peace in you. Now, stay with me right now. When you have peace in you, you become a peacemaker. God uses the peace in you to spread peace to people around you, and you become an influence for the kingdom of God when you're finding your refuge in Jesus. All right. So the first thing, and by the way, before we leave this, I don't know if you're comfortable with calling Jesus your best friend. But I would encourage you to get comfortable with it. I mean, I, I love talking with Jesus. I just, I, I hesitate even to call it prayer because it's so casual and ongoing. It's just like my best friend is with me and he's not my imaginary friend. He's more real than any of us here today. And so I start in the morning and I bring everything to him and I just, I walk through my day with him. I thought, God, what's, what's going on with, with our nation? What's going on with the riots, what's going on with what's going to happen in the future. And Jesus says, I got this. I haven't forsaken you. I'm with you. 
And I get this feeling that David had, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. All right. So let's move on to the second thought, which is to build your life on the work of Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is more than just about who he is. It's about what he's done for us. And I just want to walk through a couple of the things that Jesus has done for you. John 1.14, he became human and made his home with us. I don't know if you remember, but in, in 1995, it was, I think it was Joan Osborne was her name. She asked the question musically, what if God was one of us? And I got sad when I heard that question. Because God was one of us and she didn't even know it. Jesus became human so that he could show us what God is like. And he could die so that we could live. And so that's the second thing. He died in your place. He took the penalty that you deserve for your sins. Jesus has given you forgiveness for all of your sins, past, present, and future. Guess what? If you sin today, Jesus isn't up there saying, oh, that put him over the limit. You know, I thought I could forgive you for everything, Steve, but I didn't know you were going to do this. No surprises with Jesus, right? All of your sins are already forgiven. He's given you the right to become God's child. And by extension, Jesus' brother. He's given you the Holy Spirit to give you confidence in your relationship with your father. He has defeated death. And because of that, if you're a child of God, a follower of Jesus, you will defeat death. He's given you a purpose for your life. And he's coming again, Jesus said, to take you to your eternal home. He's given you the hope, the confidence that when Jesus is standing in glory at the end of the, the age, you will be standing there with him. And, you know, I, I picture, what if my big brother were the Heisman Trophy winner? Okay, so he's the best college football player in the country. And he's up there, and he's about to get his award. And he says, hey, Steve, come on up here. And so as he's receiving his reward, he, he has his arm around me. And I, I'm like, whoa, I'm sharing in his glory. And that's what Colossians 3 says, that we will share in the glory and the victory of Jesus when all the dust of this world settles. So that's just a tiny sample of what Jesus done, has done. But again, how do we actually put this in our life so that it starts making a difference? Well, part of the process is again using these scriptures, letting them become real to you and understanding who you are because of what Jesus has done. Again, let me give you some examples. You're a child of God. You are a possessor of eternal life and nothing can change that. You will never be condemned by God. Nothing can separate you from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus. You do not be, need to be afraid or anxious because Jesus is with you. You can do everything God wants you to do because of Jesus. You have peace with God. Jesus has given you God's spirit, which gives you an intimate relationship with God. And finally, Romans 8, 28 through 39, Paul says that through Jesus, you can overwhelmingly conquer. That's what verse 37, in the middle of Paul's description of trials, he says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
So what Jesus can do is when you stop focusing on what you need to do and start focusing on what Jesus has already done, that's when your experience of the love of God through Jesus Christ is just going to explode. And so what do you do? You learn to embrace these scriptures. And I want to share with you a little principle I learned from the Psalms. It's a principle called self-talk. You know, in, in Psalm, I think it's even Psalm 46, David says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Who's David talking to? He's talking to himself. He's basically saying, what are you doing? Why are you so down in the dumps? God is my helper, and he is going to deliver me. And so there, there's something that comes when you affirm truth again out loud. You speak it, and then it goes around and you hear it, and it creates this wonderful cycle of growing stronger and stronger in your acceptance and faith of what Jesus has done. So again, every day, pick one of those things that Jesus has done for you. I love Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 for this because it focuses on all that I have because of Jesus. And so you might focus, Jesus, I thank you that all this craziness I'm your, your brother, and I'm a child of God the Father, and nothing will ever change you. And you start affirming those things, again, habitually on a day-by-day -day basis. When you do that, when you learn to run to God as your refuge, run to Jesus as your refuge, you will experience security. When you run to what Jesus has done for you, you will experience his love in an amazing way. Now, finally, Build your life on the word of Christ. Luke chapter 6, 46, I love this. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? That's a great question. Why do you keep calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I tell you to do? And my question for you right now this morning is who is the Lord of your life? If you read today, that uh, the shutdowns are actually going to intensify. And I don't know that they are. I'm just showing that as an example. And not only are we going to stay home, but police and the National Guard are going to patrol the streets to find anybody outside, and they're going to put you in jail if you do. I mean, if, if things get crazy, what do you do? Do you run to CNN or Fox News? Do you post your anger on Facebook? Do you say, I can't believe our governor is doing this? Do you, do, do you say, oh, I wish it's about time. He should have done this last week. What is your response to this? Is Jesus calling the shots in your life? Or are you? When you have a decision to make, is Jesus the one running that decision? Or are you, according to Walt Disney, following your heart? Don't follow your heart. It's a really bad idea. Follow Jesus. You know, I, I want to share a couple of stories with you because I want you to realize this stuff works. A few years ago, I had, uh, Connie and I had dinner with a friend of mine from high school and her husband, and we were eating and talking, and in the course of the conversation, they shared the fact that in the crash of, I think it was 2008, uh, they lost their home. 
They couldn't make the payments, bank foreclosed, and they were out of their home. And I freaked out. I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? How are you doing? And, and they just stopped me. And they said, we're fine. In fact, we're better than fine because we discovered through that experience that God is enough. And we don't need the security of home ownership to feel secure. In fact, we are enjoying our lives more now without a home to own than we've ever enjoyed in our life. And I go, wow! These are people who understand what it means to live your life according to the word of Jesus. I experienced that in my own life. In 2012, after uh, 34 years, I left uh, the church I pastored. And it was a very painful experience. But you know what happened that blessed me beyond my wildest comprehension? I didn't go through an identity crisis. I didn't go through, oh my goodness, I'm not a pastor anymore. Who am I? Because honestly, my identity didn't change. I'm still a child of God, right? My sins are still forgiven, past, present, and future. I still have a hope for all eternity. And guess what? My mission didn't even change. Because my mission has always been to influence others for the kingdom of God by the word of God and by the spirit of God. And that mission did not change one iota. So you know what's crazy? 95% of my life didn't change. The only thing that changed is who signs my paychecks. God brought us into a new era of life where we've been traveling around the world training pastors uh, to... Uh, understand how to teach God's word more effectively. And I have had more fun than anybody should ever have the right to have. It has been the greatest experience of my life. I don't say that to brag. Because this is not about me. This is about Jesus. And I discovered something that was so great. That he really is my rock and my salvation and my fortress, and my deliverer, and my shepherd. I never felt abandoned. I felt hurt. But in that situation, as in every situation of life, God has had my back. We're in a crisis now as a nation. For some of you who are young, this may be the first gigantic world crisis you've ever gone through. This is my fifth. I've been through five distinct eras in our nation and our world when it felt like everything was falling apart. Honestly, you should have been around the 60s and 70s if you want craziness. I, I didn't think we were going to make it. Our, our nation was falling apart. People were so divided and angry at each other and hateful and killing each other. Sound familiar? So God's up in heaven, and even though it may be your first crisis, and you're going, wow, what's going on? I, this is, everything's falling apart. God said, hey, 
This isn't my first rodeo. I've been around. I've helped my people through those. And guess what? I'm going to help you through this. Yes. My wife has given me the get going sign. Everybody needs a wife for that purpose. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says this. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full, full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. How do you become a doer of the word and thus that man who has built his house on the rock? It's very simple. Today, when you go home, ask three simple, uh, make three simple statements. What did I hear? What did I hear from God and from his word? How would my life be different? And what do I need to start doing? You do that every time you read God's word. You do that at every situation. Let me give you one other idea of when you're in a situation where you're facing, um, you're just facing a, a decision that you can't figure out how to get through. Maybe it's a marriage that's on the edge. Maybe it's a, a, a job that seems like it's about to go. And you're facing a decision of how should I do? I want you to ask two simple questions. Picture yourself with two extra persons in the room, Satan and Jesus. First, ask yourself the question, what would Satan want me to do? It's very interesting because when you ask that question, it actually becomes pretty obvious what he wants you to do. Because his ways are always towards anger and division and bitterness and, and all of those kinds, and fear. And then ask yourself the question, what would Jesus want me to do? I found that so clarifying just to personalize God's word. And what you'll discover that as you move through life, you get a clearer and clearer picture, if you're a student of God's word, of what exactly Jesus wants you to do. And I want to tell you, you will be blessed with you if you do it. So three habits. Build your life on the person of Jesus. Learn to run to him first and often. Learn who he is and make that huge in your mind. Secondly, build your life on the work of Jesus. Build your life on not what you need to do, but on what he has already done. And thirdly, build your life on the word of Jesus. Become an obedient follower of his and let him call the shots in every area of your life. So, Father, as we move forward, I just pray that you do a mighty work in our lives. I pray that people would look at, at uh, us, Anthem Church, and Christians in general, and they might say, oh, I don't know where they stand on this issue, but, boy, they sure have peace. I don't know what, where they stand, but they sure love me. And I pray, Jesus, that you would uh, transform us into influencers for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.